0: Hey there, folks, it's me, Michael Bach, your Diversity Dude, and this is Talking to Canadians. I am a cisgendered man. Cis is spelled C-I-S. It means that I identify with the sex that was assigned to me at birth. Now, what the heck does that mean? The conversation around gender identity and expression is, for many people, very new. And for some, it can be very challenging. We're talking about something that can be completely foreign and, frankly, quite scary. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. Quite the opposite. It means we need to talk about it now more than ever. We are at a watershed moment. So let's talk about it. Today I sit down with Marnie Panis. Marnie's a trans woman from Alberta. She has an incredible story of coming out of coming to accept who she is, and finding the inspiration and courage to show that to the world. Here's my conversation with Marnie Panis. Marnie Panis, welcome to Talking to Canadians. Hey, it's great to be here. So Marnie, you're a trans woman living in Alberta. You are passionate about diversity and inclusion and are an outspoken voice for Alberta's trans community. Let's talk about it. Okay, yeah, happy to. So let's start with a little bit of a walk through life. Um, can you give us sort of the Coles notes of, of, uh, of, of little Marnie from then <laughs> until today?
1: Uh, wow, yeah, Coles notes of this. So I'm 47 years now old now, and uh, I was born in a small city in rural Alberta. Um, you know, about 40 years ago, we didn't have internet or, you know, we didn't have more than two channels on TV. So I never heard the word transgender until probably I was in my 30s, but I, I just knew how I felt. Uh, I, I didn't fit into what was expected of me as a young boy and later a man. Um, so I, you know, I, best I could say I didn't know who I was, I just know who I wasn't. But I never had the art- words to articulate that uh, at that, such an age. And so it would take me many years of, of uh, keeping that inside because our, our gendered roles were so clearly defined in our family that I knew if I was to deviate from that, it'd be catastrophic for me. And it wasn't until, you know, many years later, probably my 30s, that I started, uh, you know, meeting other people within uh, the social media world at the time, or I guess not social media, but uh, online, and when then I started to realize that I wasn't alone and that I was starting to understand language that, that I could describe who I was, but it was still not until I was probably 40 or 42 that I said the words, I am transgender, uh, first mm-hmm. finding the courage to say that to myself and then to my wife at the time. And so that began really my journey of trying to figure out who I was. And I think through all that part of it, um, you know, my partner and I, at the time, we were married for 20 years, and I, I, I when I said the words, I'm transgendered, to her. She said, this is something you have to do. I don't know if I can be on the other side. And we put a lot of work into it. And it was, you know, really uh, um, interesting for us because we also struggled for many years to have children. And so we were blessed with these two amazing boys, Alex and Andrew. Um, But they were born so early and so tiny and so sick um, that that became a very big focus on our life. And my son, Andrew, never did get to come home uh, from the hospital. And there's something about, you know, um, holding your sick child as he takes literally his last few breaths in your arms that teaches you something about living life without regret. And that's when I went back to school, got my degree in health administration, started volunteering in the children's hospital that we were spent so much time in. it ended up turning into this amazing career. But it also set me on this path to being true to myself and really um, really recognizing every gift that every day brings, and so that's what kind of brings me up to this conversation today. Lots, lots of stories in there, but that's the cold. Wow! As well, yeah. yeah, that
0: uh, there's a lot in there. Um, so I wanna, I wanna just um, start at a very simplistic point, and not to be too ignorant, but I think it's important for um, the listening audience. You were a heterosexual man in a marriage to a woman when you came out as trans is that an, an you know simplistic but accurate uh, description
1: i wouldn't say that's accurate at all because i've never been a man right, right? and yes. i think that's something Thank we really you. have to uh, explore is that i was a sexed male at birth because i was born with the penis and i may or may still not have a penis that is not what gender is and so my gender right. has always been female and so the world might have assumed i was a heterosexual man married to a woman but that has never been me And and so I think that's something to explore. So I was never, uh, you know, I was assigned male at, at birth, but I've always been female.
0: And that is such an important point for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is just the concept of gender versus sex, you know, the biology versus the identification. Um, but also that gender identity and expression have, have nothing to do with sexuality or at least for the most part, they don't. And I, I find a lot of people, particularly those who are straight and cisgendered, um, they get frankly confused because we have this acronym LGBTQ2. And part of it is about sexuality and part of it is about gender identity and expression. And, you know, when I do presentations on the topic, people's eyes just kind of get wide when I, I say, you know, you can be a straight person and be trans. And, uh, and it's very, uh, it's, it just stretches their understanding.
1: Well, that's just true. And because, you know, I'm as likely to be gay, straight, bisexual, pansexual as any other human being, It has nothing to do with my, my gender. And I think about that acronym, I think for many people, particularly in the gender, um, diverse community, trans, non-binary people, um, our community is so small that we're kind of uh, brought into this big umbrella because we need our allies throughout you know, society, mm-hmm. and particularly through the sexual and gender minority community, because we can't do this on our own. And, and, and it's particularly um, difficult.
0: Yeah, uh, very true. So uh, I said the word cis, uh, we've said the word trans. Can you give us a little trans 101 of what does it it mean to be trans?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, philosophically, or let's let's stick to the uh, specific one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the word trans itself, I often talk about it as really being that umbrella term to describe anybody whose sex doesn't match the gender they were born at birth. So I use trans and transgender interchangeably, and I'm, I'm quite okay with that. Other people may not. Uh, people who, and so that, yeah, that really identifies that population like myself who whose sex uh, was assigned at birth, one thing, but our gender has been something else. And, you know, that's about 1% of the population. But that's not everybody who is gender diverse. We might include uh, non-binary people in there, maybe, uh, you know, people who are agender. They themselves may not identify as trans, or they may. Uh, so we always kind of want to reflect what other people are using um, to identify themselves with. The word cis really just simply means uh, somebody whose gender does match the sex they're assigned at birth. And there, that's really right. simplicity. But that's what
0: it is. Right. So I am a cisgendered male because I identify with the sex that was assigned to me at birth when yeah, the doctor perfect. looked down and saw my penis. And yeah. and yeah, exactly. Yeah. So tell us about your earliest memory of, uh, of, of, your assigned gender being not in line with what you felt it was like you're looking in the mirror and you're not seeing who you thought you should be what's what's your earliest memory of that
1: well I, i can't exactly say that you know this was a defining moment because like any child you grow into that being that you are and i i always again because I never heard the word transgender until my 30s, I never even heard anything about uh, sexual and gender minority people for, for decades, quite honestly, I could never articulate that. I can't go back and say this was the moment. All I could tell you was that I, was, I never fit in. I never fit into those gendered roles and expectations. And I could never put a name to it, though. I can never say why. I just knew I didn't fit in. Um, I, I do remember one of my memories uh, is in grade three. I was it was Halloween and I was dressed up as a bride and. Uh, i i remember going to school was one of the happiest halloween's ever it was so exciting and i just i was so confident and i just felt really great and when i look back the picture is awful but it doesn't matter um (laughs) did you wear white
0: would you were you i did i did i didn't wear white at my wedding i wasn't that brave
1: (laughs) (laughs) and you know and i just think back how happy i felt you know michael when i think today when i start to reflect on parts of my life going back so many things make much more sense to me today than they would have at the time because I wouldn't have known who I was at the time. But now that I have the words, our right feelings, when I start to understand who I am, so much more makes sense. So I'm looking at my life through a much different lens. So it's almost difficult to pick out any one of those points because my lens is so different and it's much clearer now.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned the internet. I, I'm, I'm, I want to talk about it. Do you think that access to information that uh, we have today has really changed things for trans folks? Like, Do you think your your experience would have been so dramatically different had you had you know Snapchat uh, when we were growing up?
1: Well, I'm still at that age where I have no idea what Snapchat I'm is or totally does.
0: I'm totally with you. I'm <laughs> confused as heck. At
1: <laughs> so, I mean, I was on CompuServe at the time. Absolutely. Um, yes, it would have changed my life because for me... You know, it wasn't until, again, you know, probably the mid-90s that I, you know, first got my internet connection and started to uh, explore and see. Now, at that time, uh, you know, language around trans people was still quite, um, um, it wasn't very healthy. But still, um, you know, I started to uh, meet other people who might have shared similar feelings that I had. And, you know, the first time that when you realize that you're not alone can save your life. And I think that's what I started to feel because I was able to start to connect with people around me. And I thought, wow, you mean, there are other people who feel similar things that, that I feel. And, you know, it would take me decades of, 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 of those conversations before I could finally actually come out and say the words. But still, that started me on that journey. And had I had that journey earlier, you know, that would have made quite a bit of difference. And I think that so many youth, particularly in Alberta or throughout Canada, who are in you know, rural communities and small towns, uh, you know, that's, those are lifelines too, for for people, so I think you, even today, as I go through my journey, there's still an incredible support system that I have of people I've never physically met in real life that I know that I can share things with that I just can't with with other people, and I think that's that's really important.
0: Yeah, is, there's a real sense of isolation, isn't there?
1: Absolutely, and you know, and I, yeah, like I mean, it's, it's very it can be very lonely, and and you know, and it is those things like isolation and, and loneliness that 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 can be a, a real challenge to overcome and. I, again, when you realize, you know, you're not alone, that's um, that, that could change life and, and get you through some of those really difficult times.
0: Yeah. So you at uh, in your early 40s started your journey uh, to come out. What what was it like at work?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think it's because I worked where I did and work where I do that I was able to come out. So I worked for the Stollery Children's Hospital at the time as a Family Center Care Coordinator and and supporting other families through their journeys that my family took with our children. And it was you know one of, up to this that point that one of the best jobs I ever had. And so I was really concerned about about coming out, but I knew that I was working with people who were in the business to care, like truly care about our patients and our families and each other. And I started to realize that, you know, I was being really accepted as as a person and I, and, and a few people started to know about this other side of me and what I realized that was if, if I can't be me here, I can't be me anywhere. And so I started to realize that I didn't come out while working here. I came out because I worked here because I worked with uh, such great people. And I, I mean, it still was scary. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But when what I realized in that moment is that when you're real with people, you get real in return. And when you show vulnerability, you get vulnerability in return. And those relationships become stronger. And, you know, for me, my measurement of success during my transition at work was to keep my job. If I would have kept my job, I would have been really happy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but it's like when you're um, holding in your breath for 42 years and you're finally able to just let it out and breathe. And and just and you don't have to fight that current that's pushing you into a closet all your life, that you can use that energy in your work and in your relationships. All of those things become stronger. And so did my work relationships to became much more meaningful. And and so, you know, my career shifted in a trajectory that I would never have imagined. There's no way I would have picked up on that. And not only did I keep my job, but it has grown into something that that I would never have been able to to picture before and have a real impact on the lives of people all the health of Alberta. Yeah.
0: You, you, I mean, you've really changed your trajectory in terms of your life as a consequence of coming Absolutely. out, It's is really powerful. Did you, um, and not just to, at Alberta health services, and that's a, a fantastic story about AHS, but did, did you ever confront any discrimination around you about coming out?
1: Um, no, I certainly haven't felt that at work. You know, I've always, uh, I, I can't say that. In fact, I think, um, There was one story I remember going back into the neonatal intensive care unit, which still feels like home to me. And I was was implementing a new um, initiative and I was walking through the unit. And it was just, just soon after my transition. And I had never felt more confident. I had never felt more engaging. And I was meeting with all these parents of their really sick children. And I knew I was having a positive impact in their experience, if even for a moment. And I remember one woman who was holding her tiny little baby uh, really sick. And I, as I got up to leave after a conversation, she said, happy mother's day. And mm-hmm. she was the first person to ever say mother to me. And you know the first place in place I was called a mummy and a daddy was in that unit. And so clearly that's why it's such a special place for me. But what I realized in that moment is that when you can create a work environment where everybody can bring their whole selves to their work, whether it is your gender, sexuality, your ability, disability, faith, whatever that is that makes you whole clearly you're happier, more productive, the team around you is more productive. And for us that has a direct line of sight to patient experience. Um, and, and that's what I felt. So if, if anything, um, I felt quite the opposite, that I've been able to grow and truly be my whole self at work. And the impact of that um, is, is immeasurable, it might
0: be. that's such a, like, as soon as you said Happy Mother's Day, like, I, I welled up a bit just right? thinking about how beautiful that must have felt. And, but the truth of the matter is, and we have to admit that, that's not the experience for all people who come out no. as trans and, and gender nonconforming, um, which is, you know, why this conversation is so important.
1: And I think that's so important that you say that, Michael, because when I share my story, I, I'm very clear about my privilege. Right. You know, I've been able to transition at a time when I didn't need my family support, where I could do this on my own, where I wasn't wor- worried that I'd be kicked out of home. Um, I'm, I'm a white transgender woman, which carries privilege within our community. I, I fit in. Uh, to what society says a woman should look like in a very binary world. So all of those things give me privilege. I'm like the 1%. And so I, I'm always mindful of that. And and I recognize that with that privilege becomes an in, in, incredible responsibility, which is what I hope I've been able to do with my career and with my work outside of HS to to create you know inclusive spaces for everybody and to find places where those voices of those that need to be heard are amplified right
0: it's like holding out Caitlyn Jenner as the you know sort of a, the typical trans person which was so not the case um, uh, that we have to acknowledge that her experience is her experience and that's great Absolutely. but it's not everybody's experience and certainly not majorities um and I, I'm, I apologize if this is too sensitive and please tell me to go to hell, but uh, your family, um, uh, you know, your, your wife and you are not together anymore. Is that correct?
1: That's right. So, you know, after I did come up, we did uh, work through it. We put a lot of effort into having these important conversations. She says at the time, you know, this is something you have to do. I don't know if I can be on the other side. And which you know is understandable and we did work through it and, and it wasn't easy, but in many ways we became closer. But for her to live her authentic self, it wasn't to be married to a woman. Right. And so we became uh, divorced uh, just a couple of years ago, um, but we're still you know, really good friends and we co-parent our child and he's so loved and he's growing up in this you know, amazing world of two families and he knows that he feels safe and secure in, in both households and we're really great parents that way. Um, you know, but also through that, I have been able to meet uh, somebody else. Uh, you know, once you finally are able to love yourself, you find that that you're able to love others the way they deserve, and that you learn that you're also worthy of that same love. And so, you know, recently I was able to find that person, and in uh, next month, um, we're getting married, and I will finally get to wear that wedding dress Fantastic. for real. Fantastic.
0: Congratulations. Yeah. That's so Wonderful. <laughs> Now, are you going to wear white? <laughs> I am. Yes,
1: I am. Well, it's funny because uh, we went to get our flowers, and the, um, the, the flower lady, she's like, So is this your first uh, marriage? And I said, Well, no, but my first time being a bride, and it was brilliant. And,
0: uh, so, <laughs> That's yeah, wonderful. Wearing white. <laughs> so, Marnie, you work now in a diversity and inclusion role for AHS, uh, the largest employer in the province of Alberta. Um, what does your role involve?
1: I'm actually the program manager for Alberta Health Services, and and we're the largest healthcare provider in the mm-hmm. country, and so my work is around creating safe and inclusive environments for our hundred thousand employees, uh, plus physicians and volunteers, as well as breaking down the barriers for, for our four and a half million Albertans to be able to bring their whole self to their healthcare experience as well. So it's a, a phenomenal opportunity, and and really quite an overwhelming responsibility to really impact society and in a big way about creating safe and inclusive spaces for, for everybody.
0: How do you feel like, well, how does it advance the, the voice of, of trans people in Alberta?
1: Well, what I love about my work is, you know, sometimes I'm at the, you know, know, supporting teams at the bedside who might be providing care to somebody of, uh, you know, sexual, gender, minority community, including a trans person. Um, It might be, uh, you know, entire teams and providing education. And also it provides me an opportunity to work in the systems and you're looking at policy, looking at um, how we collect information about, you know, employees, about our patients and families, how we, um, you know, do all of that work. That's the stuff behind the scenes. So I think it's all of those things working together are able to shift the trajectory of, of inclusion for, for an entire province. And I think that's, that's quite an awesome responsibility actually. And and that has given me a real, real opportunity to do that.
0: It's a pretty impactful role to have. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, when the province announced uh, that you could now choose uh, F, M, or X on driver's licenses and uh, ID cards, what what was your reaction?
1: Oh, I think that's great. I mean, my first reaction to that is. Uh, at some point we need to get away from even having Mm -hmm. those things on identity documents because they're not accurate and they're not um, really relevant there are many other ways to identify people more accurately so but that is definitely an important step forward because it recognizes that people you know may not identify as male or female or it also gives people an option who do not want people to know what their gender identity is to select x and i think that you know it it, those are the systems things that really help to, to uh, uh, break down that binary and create an inclusive space for everybody. Because right now, I don't know everybody does feel included in their
0: system. Yeah. Do you think it's it's othering? And what I mean by that, and, and I am in total agreement that I think we need to do away with these markers because I don't think they're necessarily re- relevant in today's conversation, but that's, that's a much bigger conversation. But do you think the X is just othering? Like you're either male, you're female, or you're other.
1: Yeah, I think there could be a potential for that, uh, for sure. But I think it depends how, you know, people are using it. If, you know, a lot of people I know um, may identify as M or F and are using that uh, option um, just because they don't want to tell people right. and shouldn't have to tell people and shouldn't have to come out as anything to in order to get services. So I think that the intent behind it is 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 good and it's healthy. And, and I don't want... Um, you know, perfection to be the enemy of the good, Yeah, I think we can do better. And like, as I say, we can get uh, rid of them all But I think, you know, this is a, an incredible step forward. Um, and, you know, often there are still limitations when we think about where we fit as a jurisdiction in Alberta compared to uh, the rest of the country and how different jurisdictions approach that, you know, uh, and, and so how that, you know, trans-border Um, interactions to support that and then also throughout the world so I think you know we're leading that in many ways but we also have to fit into a bigger system uh, that we're connected to globally so I think absolutely uh, I think this is an incredible step forward
0: yeah I think that's one of the the biggest challenges I think uh, I imagine a, a trans person would face in traveling globally uh, if they have an X on their passport, which is now legal here in Canada, but if they went to a country that, I mean, even to the United States, uh, there's probably going to be some confusion about what that means. And, and it does, it raises a si- safety uh, risk more than anything.
1: It can, but you know, it's even more of a safety risk for me if I was traveling to another part of the world with a passport that says mail looking the way. Absolutely, that
0: I do. absolutely. Right? No, that's so.
1: You know, we're starting to chip away at those things, yeah. but uh, but if anything else, you know, we see in Canada that we're actually leading those conversations, and and that's what Canadians should be doing, right? That's what we've always been doing. So I think that's that's you know that's an important yeah. part. But yeah, absolutely,
0: it can be risky. Yeah, but it's at least a step in the right direction. Yeah. So tell us about uh, your involvement in the work that led to gender identity and expression being added to as protected grounds under Alberta's Human Rights Code.
1: Yeah, you know we um, that happened in, in. fact, I'm looking at it hanging on my wall in my office. It was uh, signed by the uh, by the Justice Minister at the time as uh, as a reminder of that really uh, historic moment in Alberta. Um, not too long ago and so uh, i used it as my inspiration for my work uh, so i was invited by the um, justice minister at the time uh, uh, Ganley, who uh, invited us uh, to be part of those conversations and to uh, help advocate for that work to, to share the personal stories and i think this is what's really important in all of these is to really be able to share the impact on on it, uh, protecting uh, people in places like the Human Rights Act and so you know, that really changed a lot of the conversations and it was that moment that led to other things happening like, you know, the driver's license that you talked about and other identity documents, you know, those are, that has helped create that in other places so we didn't have to fight to be recognized as rights and then finding some place in the Human Rights Act that, it, that we fit you know, right. being enumerated and very explicit is really, really important. And, then, uh, and that was really leading um, uh, many jurisdictions in the in the country. There was only a handful in the country that now all do have some element of protection for gender identity, gender expression in, in their Human Rights Acts. But, you know, that was quite early in that process that Alberta led the way. And then, of course, that led to my involvement in um, supporting Bill C-16 that added gender identity, gender expression to Canada's Human Rights Act. And under the Criminal Code of Canada as well. So that included a lot of work with our with our uh, elected officials and giving testimony to the Canadian Senate in support of that uh, bill. Yeah,
0: so I'm gonna lay a dead moose on the table and I, it's, it's not intended to be ignorant, but it's a question that I'm sure people are thinking about. Why does that matter? Why is this, you know, why do we need to change our human rights codes to include gender identity and expression uh, you know, aren't you protected in other ways, et cetera, et cetera. Like what, how do you respond to a person who really thinks that?
1: Well, you know, part of it is that it's an incredibly onerous task to even, uh, go through a human rights complaint. And, uh, even if you are explicitly protected. And, but for, for trans people and, and non-binary people, it was even more difficult because, first of all, you had to prove that you were discriminated against, and then you had to prove where does that fit. And so it just added so much uh, uh, effort to that that people just didn't. And even though it might have been read in in different places, it still doesn't mean that we're not being discriminated against. I mean, if you look at uh, you know the TransPulse survey that was done in 2015 showing that, you know, I believe it was 13 or 14 percent of transgender Canadians have been fired from their jobs specifically for being transgender. uh, You know, 43 percent of us have post-secondary education, at least the undergrad level, but our average income is $15,000 a year. So just because, you know, we might have protections, it doesn't mean we're not discriminated against. And so that helps us move that forward. And as part of Bill C-16, when we were able to add gender identity, gender expression, to uh, hate crimes legislation under the criminal code, that's also important because unless you're counted, then then you can't have programs and supports in place to support a, a very uh, vulnerable population. Because often, if we experience horrific acts because of our identity, those were counted in other stats. So people didn't realize the, the full impact that was happening yeah. on our community. And so it's, that's why it's really important to be enumerated um, visibly in these documents
0: what what misconceptions or myths do you think that particularly cis people uh have about the trans community
1: well, well gosh name one um i i think first of all is the the notion of choice you know about you know when did you you know choose this when you know how did you know you were trans and and you know my response always to that is you know, Michael, you, you identified as, as a cisgender male, and so just using you an example, when did you decide Absolutely. you're a male, right? And so that sounds absurd when, when people hear it that way, because of course it is the same for me. I didn't make this decision, and I've always felt it, which is no different than any other child that you grow up in the society and you feel, you know, and, and you know who you are. Um, it's not a choice there's not any one day where you know a a switch is flipped it it doesn't work that way any differently for us than it does for anybody else the difference though going back to that example about you michael is if you identified as a cisgender male and you are but the whole world is telling you you there's something else that's the problem that's what leads to the isolation and the and the loneliness and and the depression all the other things that are related to that um the other part another myth would be about mental health and saying, well, being trans is a mental health disorder and, you know, it's, or, or a mental health problem or, you know, a disease that has to be treated or pathology that has to be cured. And, and for me, you know, being trans is probably the one thing I'm most mentally healthy about, right? That's, that was day two of therapy for me. The next two years of therapy was, how am I going to go over fear? How am I going to go over fear of losing my job? How am I going to go over fear of losing my family, my children? How am I going to go over the fear of walking out of a washroom and somebody beating me up because they say I don't belong there? It is that fear that contributes to mental health problems like isolation, loneliness, depression, suicide, not being trans. So being trans is the pathology. Really, you know, society has to work on their pathology of intolerance.
0: What what tips would you give to uh, allies of the trans community of how they can be better allies?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, so many. There's, you know know uh, people in, in, in power and privilege have such great opportunities to really lead and use that in such a very profound way. And so there's so many things that can be so simple, like you know, stating your pronouns when you come into a meeting or you're being introduced, you know, starting with your pronouns. Hi, I'm, I'm Marnie Ayushi, her pronouns. If cis people started to do that, then it takes some of the burden away from us. If, uh, if you're an ally, of course, ally is, is an action. It's ongoing. It's something that happens that you do every day. Um, first thing you ask is, how can I be an ally? You know, what more do I need to know to ensure that I can be the best friend, the best colleague, the best boss, the best teacher, the best doctor that I can be to you in this journey? Um, you know, to give the space for those stories to be heard, you know, recognizing how much space am I taking up in the room and making sure am I, am I louder than those voices or am I using my opportunity to create space for those voices to be heard? Those are all things that people can we can do. And most importantly, I think, you know, stand up when you see people being treated unwell, whether it's a trans person or somebody of a different uh, race or religion or, or whoever is to stand up when people aren't being treated well, because it is those allies that help us move forward. Cause it, it is a big burden for us to be able to, to do that on our own yeah. all the time. And so I think that's really important.
0: You know, that interesting. You, you mentioning that just really resonates with me about assist uh, cis people acknowledging our own pronouns and it, it you know to me it, it it had always been like oh you know we see that when people are uh where they're trans right they're wanting to own that and how i as a cis person have never had to to, to voice that uh, because i i'm in the majority i'm in the default group um but it would be really powerful for me to make sure that i am saying uh, these are my pronouns um and everyone else acknowledging that too, and and taking stock of the pronouns that we all use, uh, that I am, uh, that we do, so that so that we level set for everybody. So everybody says, you know, these are my pronouns.
1: Yeah, it's often in in meetings that it's the trans person, the non-binary person, is the only person that's like right. the pronouns, yes. <laughs> right? And so if everybody else did it, and there are many cis people that. Are misunderstood and, and many assumptions are made about cis people as well if you don't fit in again to what the binary of of our society says men or women should look or act like and so i think this is good for everybody but plus it takes the onus off that one person in the room that's always that person has to say their pronouns and then i think that's really important and it's it's even a, a bigger step than asking somebody else about their pronouns because if you're owning it then it gives permission for other people to do the same but not putting the pressure on that yeah, they have
0: to absolutely so, uh, would you have any advice for young people who are examining their own gender identity and expression? What would you tell them?
1: That's a that's a really great question. I think you know to to really seek out positive, healthy role models. Um, to great space for that. To uh, you know, gay straight alliances are really an important part of the conversations that are happening in Alberta at the moment. And I think you know finding those supports in in schools of, of people to to find that support in safety and in privacy and in confidence i think was is really important just like me growing up finding that i'm not alone um probably saved my life that's as more true today for youth than than certainly it that was for me as well so i think you know seeking out those supports finding that safe person that that, that you know that you trust to be able to share that with if, if that's, a, you know, if that's something that, that you want to do or, or feel that you can trust doing that. I think that's really important. And um, and to, to gain knowledge and to to help find some way to help guide those, uh, you know, where you're seeking knowledge. Because you mentioned, you know, internet earlier, it can be a great source for information, but it can be a great source for really scary and yes, misinformation absolutely. as well. Yeah. And so, you know, we help we need help navigating that. Um, you know, there are many uh, youth uh, groups and, and communities throughout the, um, and all of our communities across Canada to sort of so find ways to seek them out so that you realize that you're not alone. And I think what, you know, that's probably the most important feeling is knowing that, yeah, there are other people like me and that this is okay. Cause absolutely it is more than okay.
0: Very good advice. So we always like to uh, finish our conversations up with three light and fluffy questions. Uh, so, okay. who are your heroes or heroines? Uh, you know,
1: gosh, there are, so, there are so many. But I think back to, actually, Laverne Cox. And I think, uh, so, you know, I first saw her on Orange is the New Black, and it was uh, first season, series, um, episode three. And, you know, she plays the role of a, a black woman in, in a prison as a trans woman. And, you know, none of these things that I think I would relate to but in her backstory it talked about her being a parent and dressing up and and, and and having a child that's watching and that growth and it was the first time in media on TV that I saw me reflected you know and that that piece of visibility is so so important to see yourself in in a way that's that's healthy and it was actually soon after that that I got my uh, that I started you know, I, I had my prescriptions for my hormone therapy and, and stuff sitting there. And it was soon after that episode that I actually started oh, taking good. them <laughs> because I just felt, yeah, OK. And, you know, I actually got to meet her um, actually about a year after that. I was able to share that story with her. And, oh, my gosh, we shared a hug. And, you know, she's talked about me in, in the media before. And we have become sort of these this, this grouped this this friend uh, of each other and she's kind of identified me as one of her oh heroes. Gosh, so it's just a really interesting yeah. you know so it was just that moment of, of visibility at the right time that I needed it in sure. my life
0: yeah what, what a powerful one so uh now what is your biggest pet peeve
1: <laughs> uh, my biggest pet peeve um, honestly, it's about being misgendered of on course. the phone when I'm phoning, you know, whether it's my cell phone company or going into a, uh, fast food restaurant or whatever. And, um, uh, and just automatically calling me, sir. And, and it, you know, for the most part, it just, I, I kind of ignore it and don't release, but I'm human as well. And there are some days where my tank of resilience is empty <laughs> and I can appear like this most confident outgoing person I can face in a room full of senators. I can talk on CNN and, and, and all of these things. But in those moments, I could also be my car sobbing yeah. because it just, it's like a thousand paper cuts. Right. And it just, I feel it every time that I still don't fit in and people still make those assumptions. And I think that's probably the one thing that hurts the yeah, most. Yeah.
0: I can, I can only, I remember as a child, I, I was a bit of a late bloomer, and being misgendered on the phone, uh, and always finding it such a struggle. And I was going through my own, you know, journey, um, so I can only imagine what that's like for you today. So, what is your happiest and/or guiltiest pleasure?
1: <laughs> you know, I love taking my son to movies. It is—it's not really guilty. It's—it's it's just. Oh, my gosh. It it is so happy. We have so much fun. So we always do that. You know, just uh, recently uh, we went through all of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies together. We saw all 21 together in preparation to watch uh, the the last installment of the Avengers. And have you seen it? And and we did. We saw it on opening day. I won't. But it delivered. All I'll say is that it delivered. But also it's just, you know he's 12 years old and we're in the movie theater and we're cheering and crying and laughing with each other at the same time. And, and it, you know, I just love that time that we get to spend together. And so whether it's at home or at the theater, I just, it just fuels me and we get so close and it's just our thing. And I love that we do that as our thing. That's beautiful.
0: This has been fantastic morning. Thank you so much for uh, joining me for this conversation and for sharing your story. I think it's uh, incredibly impactful and, uh, Uh, You're really, um, I, I can understand why Laverne is a fan, so thank you for joining us. My name is Michael, and my pronouns are he and him. Such a simple thing. In a quick sentence, I've told you that I identify as male. I didn't need to do it. If you could see me, it's pretty clear that that's how I present. The beard is often the giveaway. But that's not the case for everyone. For some trans folks and and those that don't fit into the box of the male-female binary, it may or may not be obvious how they identify. But it's super simple for those of us from the quote unquote majority to create space for them where it's safe to be themselves. Canada is leading the way on the conversation around gender identity and expression, but we still have a lot of work to do and we all have a role to play. That's all for today's episode of Talking to Canadians. Thanks for listening, and thanks to my guest, Marnie Panas, for sharing her story. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to stay up to date with everything CCDI is up to by visiting our website at ccdi.ca. Thanks again, and I'll be talking with you again soon, Canada.